Well, have you ever been driving through LA traffic? No, right, none of us have had to do that. Well, I wanna tell you about a time that I was driving through LA traffic. Um, I had just gotten through my BA and I was in my teacher's credentialing program and I was student teaching, ready to become a teacher, fully prepared, I felt ready to go, and yet there was this one lingering test left. And for whatever reason that year, maybe because I got married that year, that's what I'm gonna blame it on, I don't know, my, my brain, I lost it for a second, but I waited to the last possible date to take this test, a test that you had to pass in order to get your credential. So I, of course, at least doubled the time to get down through LA, and then I added even more time, right, because I knew I wanted to be there, I couldn't miss it. Well, as I'm driving along, I didn't account for one thing, a Dodgers game. Oh, all of a sudden, there are fans everywhere flooding the freeways, and I am moving at a snail's pace. And I'm watching the time tick away. Have you ever done this when, you're, when you need to get somewhere really important? And the minutes are just going, and you're looking at your GPS, and you're like, I I'm not going to make it. Well, I call my husband of just three or four months at that point. Tears are rolling down my cheeks, and I'm playing out this scenario. Unfortunately, this isn't the right response, but I'm not going to get my credential. This is the last, the last test this year. I have to wait till next year. I won't get a job. But God was so good, he got me to the test within two minutes of the doors closing. And the reason that was so important is the doors literally close when the time starts. You can't come in, you can't start late. But the reason I was so, so, so focused on getting there and knew how important it was is because even though I said I was ready to be a teacher, even though I felt prepared and ready to be a teacher, I knew that the test was evidence that I was ready. The test was proof to the Board of Educators that I was in fact ready to become a teacher. The test really showed what I knew and proved it. Well, today in our passage, John is going to give us a test of sorts to see proof and evidence that we are, in fact, walking in the light. Something that will help us know with sufficient evidence and proof that we are followers of Christ. We're gonna see that people who claim to be Christians will see proof of it by the way that they love other people. So if you haven't turned already to 1 John 2, please do so. As I read, you can follow along with me in our text for today. 1 John 2, 7 through 11 says this. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
What a black and white, light and dark, love and hate, straightforward passage John gives us here that I'm excited to dive into. But I want to give you a little bit of context from where we've been, especially thinking back to last week. Last week, if you remember, John actually gave us another test or another way for us to know if we are truly saved. It says this in our passage from last week. By this, we know that we have come to know him. By this thing, we know if we keep his commandments. You'll remember that. But this week, he's going to zero in on one of those commandments. One of those important, as we'll see, commandments, which is to love other people the way Jesus has loved us. We're going to see that Jesus is the standard for loving others. Jesus defines what love is and shows us how to love one another. Well, let's write that down for our first point this morning. See how Christ raised the bar on love. You and I, we need to see how Christ himself raised the bar on what it means to love others. And actually, John begins our section with a little bit of confusing language when you first read it, because it's like he says, I'm writing you an old commandment. No, just kidding, I'm writing a new. No, wait, it's an old. And you're kind of like, which is it? Is it old? Is it new? You know, it's kind of like our common core math. Yeah, you know, right? It's like there's an old way, but there's actually a new way. But wait, I know the old way. But you got to do it by the new way. You know, it's kind of confusing. Which one is it here? How do we find out this math problem? But let me help you break it down pretty simply here. The old commandment, which we see is from the beginning, the word that we have heard, actually goes back to Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself for I am the Lord, right? This came to the Israelites when God was giving them his commandments. So thousands of years ago, his people, his followers were told to love one another, will love your neighbor as yourself. That was the command given. So it is an old commandment, but it's also a new commandment, he says, because it is a fresh one. It's been given a richer and deeper meaning. It's been expanded and grown, this call to love others. When Jesus came to earth, it says in John 13, 34, he actually calls it a new commandment. This is what it says. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So now it's just not just love your neighbor as yourself, but now it's love in the same way that I have shown love. Jesus really raised the bar on what it means to love other people. And the term raise the bar, I had to look into that, and I thought it was fascinating. It comes from the Olympics, and it comes from a specific event called the high jump. Have you ever seen this event? It's amazing. You know, I started looking at videos and watching these amazing athletes. What they do is, with just their ability to run and then do this kind of weird hop and then hoist themselves into the air over a bar, it's pretty fascinating because I found out that the record-holding jump just, if you were running and jumping, just picture this. 
eight feet and a quarter inches. I'm 5'3", I don't know, it's way up here, just running and jumping over the bar. But the reason we get the term raise the bar is what happens in this event is they begin the bar low and everyone jumps over, right? That's the standard they've set. And if you pass it, the bar is raised higher. And then there's more jumps. The goal now is moved higher and higher. The bar keeps getting raised. The new standard of success the new standard of the goal that you're focusing on is raised higher for them. And that's what Jesus did here. He took the old commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and he raised the bar higher. He set the standard higher for us. Well, I can't help but think about the Good Samaritan when we talk about what it means to love. And that's because this is a parable that Jesus used in Luke 10, 30, if you want to turn there, you can. But let me give you a little bit of context to the Good Samaritan. Jesus was asked by a lawyer what the greatest commandment is. And you'll probably remember his response is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he throws in a bonus. The second greatest commandment, he says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the man then asks, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? And Jesus responds with this parable in verse 30 of Luke 10. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asks, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Jesus' new standard includes who is the recipient of our love? Who is going to receive the love that we give, right? Because if we know anything about the Jews and the Samaritans in this time, they were enemies. This was not like his best friend walking by on the road and saying, oh, let me help you. Let me give you all my things. Let me support you here. No, this was what was considered an enemy, someone that didn't get along with. They didn't even deal with one another. Jesus says by this parable that even the people we don't like, even the people that rub us the wrong way or we don't really get along with, those are the people we should love in the same way Jesus has loved us. Jesus also changed the breadth and the depth and gave us a fuller definition of what it means to love. Just look at this passage. It says the man had compassion on him. He stopped wherever he was going. Do you think he had something to do that day? Do you have a long list of to-dos today? You got a schedule? I do. 
But guess what? He was walking by on the road and he stopped, he put aside whatever his goal was for that day, and then he got down on the ground. This man was beaten, bloody, gross, right? He got in there and he bound up his wounds. He used his own items, his own oil, his own wine for this man. And then it's like he gave him his car, you know, he put him on his donkey and said, you ride, I'll walk, I'll be uncomfortable, I'll put you first. He gave up his money. He said to the innkeeper, you know, whatever you spend, no expense spared, you take care of him, bring him back to health, and I'll pay you back. At the end of this parable, we see the word mercy to sum up all those actions. Sacrifice, kindness, loving kindness, compassion for his enemy, we remember. Jesus raised the bar higher for us. He set the standard higher for his followers when it comes to loving those around us. He brought a new deal. He got rid of the old deal, the old commandment, and said, this is how you should love now in the same way that I love. Well, John says that if you are in him, if you are in the light, then you must love people the way Christ loved people So you need to personally love in this way. And that's where I'm going to go for point number two. You can write it down this way. Love others as Jesus loved you. It's great to see in point one that Jesus did change the standard for love. But now we need to look at ourselves and say, do I love in the same way that Jesus has shown me love? Jesus said, or our passage says, sorry, in verse eight, This commandment is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Our verse turns specifically to those who claim to be in the light, claim to be in a relationship with Christ. It says, if you are in the light, then you will show love to other people. And it says in description of this that there will be no cause for stumbling. Do you see that? There will be no cause for stumbling as a person in the light. Literally, that means you're not gonna cause anyone else to be hindered or to stumble, or even to fall into some sort of scandal. So if we're to love others the way Jesus has loved us, we're gonna cause no one to sin. And that could be a sub point for you if you'd like. Cause no one else to sin. Don't do anything else, don't do anything in your life that may cause somebody else to sin. I have four kids, as you know, and One of them seems to have just this very black and white, solid stance on what is right and wrong. Almost to a fault, because we need to teach her compassion and love for other people who may not believe the same things. But if somebody tries to entice her, you know, let's cheat on a test at school, or let's make fun of this kid, she's got 
I mean, she's almost like, mm-mm, don't you dare. Mm-mm, I'm not doing that. There's no way I would do that. I mean, she kind of almost acts like, mom, these people, they want to do something wrong, you know? I'm like, yes, not everyone has the same standard. Not, we're all learning. You know, we have to talk about all that. But then I have another kid who knows right from wrong, been taught the same things, been to church, but for whatever reason, seems to be more of a follower, you know? Kind of like when we find out that he or she has done something, it's like, what? well, you know that's wrong. Why did you do it? And it's, it's like, well, there were some other guys that were doing it. They, I just kind of went along with the crowd. You know, I just followed them. They were doing it, and I joined in. Pretty much kind of a follower in that instance. And I don't know where you are in that, but I do know that brand new Christians or even Christians that have been around for a long time will be watching you and will be following what you do. We want to make sure that we cause no one to sin. If we're loving others, we're not gonna gossip then, right? Because as soon as we do that, we are pulling someone else into that sin, having them potentially join us as we begin to gossip about someone. Or even, as Susan said, complain. She talked about that this morning. When you begin to complain, bring out all the negatives, vent about your life to someone else, you're potentially pulling them into that sin, tempting them to follow you, to follow that example. We can also do this by provoking, either in our children or our husbands, kind of poking, prodding them, you know, just kind of getting under their skin. We don't want to allow jealousy or bitterness to creep into our life because this is another sins that have great effect on the people around us. We need to make sure that we're not causing other Christians or other people to fall into sin by our choices. We don't want to be a stumbling block or a hindrance to them. Well, I want to look at a few more ways we can love like Jesus. If you want to turn to Philippians 2, I'm so glad Pastor Mike coordinated with me this week on his passage from the weekend. Wasn't that nice of him? I think he took us to the same passage, or at least he talked about humility, just as I want to look at in this passage. So it must mean that we need to hear it twice this week, because we're going to look at Philippians 2, 3 through 8. It says this about Jesus. First, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The next way we can love others in the same way Jesus loved is by humbly loving others, by having a humility about ourselves, which really focuses in on the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about others. We see here that Jesus modeled this humility, that even though he was God, he came to earth for us. I loved Pastor Mike's definition on what it means, what humility means. He said this, 
It's not thinking less of yourself, just thinking down on yourself, I'm no good, you know, putting yourself down. It's not that, but instead, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And when we think of ourselves less, we can think about other people more, right? We think of ourselves less so that we can put the needs of others ahead of our own needs. Do you have this goal even in your day-to-day walk with the Lord that you would think of yourself less and think of others more? What a great daily prayer that would be that we, we don't spend all of our time and energy and focus and thinking about what we want, what we need, but instead we're able to put that effort into what the people around us need. No job would be too small or too big for us to do is we're willing to put others ahead of our own needs, wants, desires, plans for that day. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Do you remember that? He got down and he did what the servant was supposed to do. And he did that in order to say to his disciples, love in this same way, this sort of humble love. Put yourself in the servant's position in order to love other people. John 13, one through 20, it talks about that, and that may be a great passage for you to read and study and reflect on this week, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet in humility as a way to love them. Well, in order to love well, I think we also need to sacrifice. So we have caused no one to sin, humbly love others, and now we need to sacrifice in order to love in the same way that Jesus loved. John 15, 13, John 15, 13 says this, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. He laid down his life for us on the cross, the greatest sacrifice. And while we will likely not be required to lay down our lives in the same way, we are called to lay down our stuff for others. We're called to lay down our time for others. We're called to lay down our money for others. We're called to pray for one another. We are called to sacrifice for, for the good of others around us. We also need to do this joyfully. That's the fourth part here, joyfully. When we serve and love like Jesus loved, We need to make sure that we do it with a joyful heart, not kind of grumbling or saying, I've loved so much today, I'm just done, you know, I loved way, I I maxed out. Can you believe how much I had to love, right? Moms of little ones, maybe we feel like that sometime, but it says that Jesus in Hebrews 12, 2, it says this, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he endure with joy? He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. As we love and serve others, we need to do this with a joy-filled heart. The same way that Jesus went to the cross, it says, with joy. And I want to point out that this is not just, this type of love is not just for the people in our home or the people in our inner circles. 
Because I know if you have kids, you will wipe a poopy bottom, right? You will sacrifice what you want to do that. Or maybe if you have aging parents, you will willingly help them with their bills or help them with their hospital needs, whatever it might be. Or when your sister calls you and she's in a crisis, you're there. You'll get on a plane if you need to, to come to her aid. Now, I'm not saying we don't help those in our family. Of course we do. We help those that are close and in our family, yes. But we love and serve them a little bit more naturally than what I want to encourage you with the people outside of our family, our church family, the people around this room. And even beyond that, as we saw in the Good Samaritan, our neighbors, our enemies. We don't want to only just have love for those right close to us. We want to look beyond that and make sure that we love this way to any of the people God has placed in our lives. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And then in verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Even the unsaved, even the people who aren't Christians love those who love them back. He says, what reward do you have? You're doing what other people do. He's calling us to love those who may never return the favor to us. Love those who may never say a thank you. Love those who maybe we don't naturally get along with, but to sacrifice and to be humble and to be joyful in loving them the way Jesus has loved us. I know immediately, too, when we're talking about this love, there might be some sort of excuses or reasons why this would be hard for you thinking about your life. One may just be, I'm a busy person. I mean, the kind of love you're saying sounds like it's going to take a lot of work for me. I'm I've got my schedule packed full. I've got kids' sports. I've got to get here to this meeting. I've got work all day. I mean, I am packed full. And love takes work. I just, I just don't know if I can fit that in. Or maybe you just have this overall feeling of like your shoulder sinking, like, ugh, I'm tired. I, I'm, I just feel kind of lazy about that. Like, oh, I'm going to have to get up. I'm going to have to do something. Ooh, that sounds difficult. I do a lot already. Or maybe, as I've heard other people say, you know, I'm really just waiting around for someone else. You know, as soon as someone else here reaches out to me in this way, I'll be able to reach back out to them. I'm just kind of waiting for someone out there who's going to love me in this way, and then I can love. Or even, as I've heard it said, you know, I'm, I'm just not really a people person. Bethany, you obviously are a people person. You got a lot of energy. You seem to love people. But you know what? That's not for me. People really drain me. People really just kind of wear me out. And besides, they've really failed me in the past. They're really disappointing. They've let me down. You know, I'm just, I'm just not really a people person. That's not my personality. That's not the way God made me. 
And if you aren't a people person, I, I, I just wonder, are there people that you do love this way? I think so. I think if you're not a people person, but you have children, you love them. Nobody has to twist your arm to do that. Or maybe you have two close friends or even just one that you would willingly love in this way. I think when we say we're not a people person, that just means we've kind of chosen our select few and closed off that circle a little bit. And what Jesus is saying to us through all of these excuses is, that's not a good excuse, right? He, it's a clear command in our passage that if we're in the light, we need to love other people. We need to love in the same way that Jesus loved. So if we're too busy, we need to cut out some things. If we're too lazy, we need to get up off the couch. If we aren't a people person, we need to pray. We need to talk to God and ask him to help us to love other people in this way because God commands it. God says it will be there if we're walking in the light, that there will be evidence, that there'll be proof by the way we love. In John 13, 35, it says this about our love. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you come to church. Wait a second, that's not how it goes. Let me try that again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you give money to the church. That's not it either. By this, all people will know. The watching world will know that you are God's disciples if what? If you love one another, that's how people will know in your neighborhood, in your family, in your friend circles. That's how they will know. You and I, we need to love like Christ loved and not allow any excuse to creep in as to why we can't do that. Because if we fail to love, there is a serious concern, a big problem here. If we don't love like Christ, then we need to heed the warning that he gives us. We need to look at the end of our passage and see what a severe problem that is if we don't. And actually, I want you to write that down for point number two. We need to realize the severity of failing to love. We need to realize the severity of failing to love in this way. The reason I chose the word severe in this point is because of the emphasis and definition that it carries with it. It says this, it's something bad or undesirable, so it's always a negative thing, and in regards to that, it is very great, very intense. It's like super bad, right? It's like really bad. Whatever that thing is, it's like to the utmost degree not good. So it is a severe problem. It is a super bad problem to not love. Look at our passage in verse nine. Look what he says here. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Darkness is the evil realm. Darkness is the opposite of the kingdom of light. Darkness means not a follower of Christ. Whoever loves his brother, though, abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let me rephrase this for you. If you are in the light, if you are a follower of Christ, you will love others. 
That's the proof, the evidence. It will be there. But if you see a lack of love, a failure to love, then our passage says you're still in darkness. There's nothing in between here. Now, I I need to dive into the word hate here in this passage because I know for you it's probably the same way that I read this passage. When I see the word hate, I think, I don't hate people. That's definitely not a description of me. Because when I see the word hate, I think of like fist fights, yelling cuss words, you know, big, loud, yelling, you know, crazy mess and, and someone, you know, that maybe kicks someone when they're down. Or I mean, I just, I take that word hatred and I go all the way to things that, you know, I, I've never done. But the word hatred here actually means the opposite of love better defined as indifference or a lack of love. Hatred is a failure to love. So when it says in our passage, if you hate your brother, really just means if you don't show love to your brother. Let me take you back to the Good Samaritan. Remember the passage I read earlier. Do you remember that there was a priest and a Levite who walked by? When they saw the man on the ground, did they kick him? Did they, you know, taunt him on the ground? Because that's what I would say, that, that'd be hatred. That's kind of what comes to my mind, but no. What did they do instead? Exactly, exactly, they did nothing. They saw a need, a need that they could meet, and they failed to love. They, they looked at that and said, that's not my problem. I'm not gonna deal with that, I'm gonna walk on by. We can't walk on by when we see a need. We can't look the other way and say, this isn't my problem. I don't wanna deal with it. Because our passage says that that's actually hatred. That's a failure to love. Later in our same book, in 1 John three seventeen, it says this. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. If we notice a need, if we see one, if we hear about one, if we see a hurting person, we need to step in and love that person and not walk on by it. And the reason this is such a severe problem, as my point number three says, is because of what John says at the end of our passage. It says that the person who doesn't love actually hates his brother and is in the darkness. Literally, they live their whole life in darkness. They haven't been transferred to the kingdom of light. And it says about them, they're walking around in darkness. They don't know where they're going. The darkness has blinded their eyes. They are lost. If you see a a lifestyle of loveless action towards others in need, a lack of compassion, of support, of sacrifice, our passage says you are still in darkness. You may know a lot of theology. You may even know about Jesus. You may even come to church. But it says here that the proof of salvation is in the way that you love others, the way that you love the people around you. I love how one commentary wrote that John gives us two categories. Day, I'm sorry, light 
and darkness, and there's no twilight. There's no in-between, just light and darkness. It's not like we can stand in between and kind of go back and forth. Well, it's severe to not love in two ways. And the first way is if we are not seeing this type of love, then John says that we're not Christians. We haven't been transferred. And so if that's you out there today, what a great day to turn to Jesus, to accept him as your savior, to realize that you are in sin, you are wandering around in the darkness, blind, and you need your eyes opened, that you can come into the kingdom of light. Maybe you could talk to a leader or go into your own car and pour out your heart to God and become right with him. Get that transfer today from darkness to light. But it's also severe for those of us in the room who are in the light, who are Christians. And if that's you in here, and you've noticed that you've stopped loving people in this way, or you really aren't doing the job that you need to do, we need to make sure we confess, as Heather talked about, and repent. Because a failure to love is sin. God has called us to love. And when we don't follow his commands, it is a sin. Oh, what, what time I had of going to the Lord and studying this passage and saying, God, forgive me for my failure to, to love people in this way. And then from that point on, we need to walk in love, right? We need to follow Christ's example and seek to love others, to make a change so that we're not trying to stick our foot back in the darkness in this area of our lives, it's so important to remember that the world will see we are his followers by the way we love. Do the people around you know you are followers of Christ in the way that you love others? Well, I made it to my test, like I said. I passed my test. I got my credential, woohoo! And I got a teaching job that next year. God was so good and so faithful. But what about our tests today? What about the test that John gives us? As you're looking at your own life, how does your love measure up to Jesus' standard of love? Where can you grow? What can we do today to begin to love others, the people in our family, our friends, but yes, the Christian brothers and sisters, and even beyond that, the enemies or people we don't get along with potentially as well, how can we love more like Christ has loved. Well, I hope you walk away this morning pondering the love of Christ, what it says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, while we were still wretched, while there was nothing good about us, it says that Christ died for us. Christ loved us even when we were unlovable. Let us love like he has loved us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this passage and how convicting it is and also how encouraging it is because we can see the way that you loved us. We can praise and thank you and ponder that anew this morning. God, help us to be motivated by that love to love the people around us. Help us to turn away from selfishness from a focus on 
our own lives and our own needs and our own goals and God instead, help us to think of ourselves less and make room for others, to put the focus on other people as you did. God, I thank you for the women here who've come. I thank you for the conversations that will be had, the encouragement, the fellowship time. God, may you be honored, glorified in all that's done today. Help us to love like Christ loved. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.